so many other BIPOC characters and they exist in this world that is of the white lens that is comfortable viewing these characters in this way. We are, in essence, bringing forth, just with our mere presence and our existence in this space, bringing forth unconscious bias. We kind of have to remain extra vigilant that our characters are evolving, that they are being seen through many facets, not just through the facets that are quote-unquote comfortable. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome, everyone. Calling into the show today, we have Vanessa Rubio. As the leading Afro-Latina actress on Cobra Kai, Ms. Rubio carries a unique perspective on the Emmy-nominated Netflix series. Her character, Carmen, plays a single mom to a teenager and develops a romantic relationship with William Zabka's character, Johnny Lawrence. Ms. Rubio, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Gabe. It's really wonderful to be here. I have been listening to the episodes of your show, and I'm really in awe and really grateful for the work that you're doing for mental health. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for saying that because I am in awe of you. I am a huge Karate Kid fan. I'm 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 44 years old. I love Cobra Kai. It's like a it's like a, a blanket of, of of nostalgia just washing over me every time I watch it. So now I, I don't want there to be spoilers, but after we're done recording, we have to talk about your character's relationship with the evil, evil, evil Johnny Lawrence. Absolutely. Uh it's so funny when I watch the show myself. I feel like a fan myself. I'm watching and I'm like, this is such a great show. And then I remember, oh yeah, I'm a part of it. I understand. (laughs) I have to say it must be surreal to see yourself on the the karate kid because you weren't part of the original series, the the three that came out in the eighties that the Cobra Kai is based on. And uh, you know, the, the movies were very white. Uh, I mean, they, they had Mr. Miyagi of course, but it, it was still a, a very, a very stereotypical white journey. How do you feel about that being a, a BIPOC actress in the community, knowing that you're part of such a, you know, for lack of better phrasing, such a very stereotypically 80s white franchise? Oh, gosh, such a complicated question, but I'll do my best to answer it. It's kind of half and half, you know. Growing up, for me, I'm I'm the daughter of immigrants from Colombia. Both of my parents came over when they were in their early 20s and just hit the ground running, started having children, worked so hard. My parents' work ethic is something I carry with me throughout my life. They were just hard workers and got themselves educated, too. Although they had their degrees from Colombia, they also re-educated themselves here and got their, their degrees here. But in my household growing up, I mean, I grew up in a household in New Jersey, and that alone relates us right to the character of Daniel Russo in The Karate Kid. He comes from Newark, New Jersey. And that movie in itself, I think the subject matter is so relatable to the underdog, the director, too. I mean, he directed Rocky and all these movies that had this sort of real world grit that I think a lot of people in that era could relate to. And my family was no different. I mean, I'm the youngest of three and my older brother, who is properly the generation of the the Karate Kid, 
I could tell in his experience watching the movie what it did to him, you know, and then he started taking karate and we all started taking karate and it was like, we related to it. And I think those scenes are universal, those scenes of being the underdog. And that relates very much to the experience of being the children of immigrants and the immigrant experience and kind of the different traumas that can happen from that. I think the beauty of that story is that it's highly relatable on so many levels just being the new kid and coming into this environment where you have to adapt and maybe code switch and find your inner strength to survive and evolve. And along the way, learn some beautiful lessons about humanity. You know what I mean? I think the Mr. Miyagi character introduced everybody to these virtues. Let's talk about the Mr. Miyagi character for a moment. I know how 12 year old white middle class Gabe saw Mr. Miyagi. And of course I, I loved Mr. Miyagi. He had so much wisdom and he was so mystical, but if, you know, of course here we are in 2021 and, and there's criticism of his portrayal. Not everybody from Asia can clap their hands and cure you. There's not magic. Mm-hmm. There, there is an, an undertone there that we probably shouldn't ignore. Oh my God. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much to unpack. It's like, we see this, character and then you know so many other BIPOC characters and they exist in this world that is of the white lens that is comfortable viewing these characters in this way you know thankfully now and in hindsight and even just what you said is a testament to our evolution and our continual perspective widening of why did we view him that way (laughs) as the actor didn't have an accent, you know, like my character, I didn't have an accent, as you can tell. I think it's such a balancing act to bring these characters forth in all their beauty and complexity, but then also sort of tear them away from this white lens to just be and exist as their own without such a white lens over them. I, I am not an actor. I, I want everybody to know that I'm 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 not in Hollywood. <laughs> but one of the things that I notice is uh, I live with bipolar disorder, and whenever there is a movie that has a main character who has bipolar disorder, all of my friends and family are like, "Hey, hey, hey, what what what'd you think? How how is that representation? Is, is that what you go through?" But but again, I'm not an actor. I had nothing to do with creating that character. Is there pressure on you? to get it right, to represent your community. And knowing full well that when I say you get it right, you're not the writer, you're not the director, you're not the producer. So again, I think of how I have to represent and discuss bipolar characters in the abstract. What's it like for you? That has to be a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. And I take it as like, okay, and (laughs) I'm a big fan of Whatever I wake up with in the morning that I wasn't able to let go of the day before, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to nip in the bud or be vocal about. There were instances where I'm like, wow, you know what? I feel all of this pressure on set and and making this character. And I really have nobody to voice that with except my own community of friends and Latinx creators who are not on the show and who I can bounce ideas off of. And I was like, you know, I'm just, I realized I'm expending a lot of mental energy on trying to figure these things out. Is she being represented in the right way? So I I, um, voiced that situation and I 
was able to suggest a Latinx writer to the writers and just bring it to their attention and the producers as well. And they heard me out. They didn't end up hiring the Latinx writer who I recommended, but at least it got the ball rolling. And in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, if I just have to continue talking about this, so be it. If I don't get it done, maybe it'll get done for somebody else down the line. I feel there is a a thing about taking in information and realizing what is bothering you, what is not sitting well with you in any situation. In this case, we're talking about the workplace and being BIPOC. And then what can I do? How can I voice it in a way that can instigate some change? All the while taking care of myself, you know, all the while remaining dedicated to my self-care technique. There is a thing of being overwhelmed by being the bearer of so much responsibility of representation. So I'm a big fan of reminding myself and other people, take care of yourself first, but also voice your opinions because we need to speak up now more than ever. I love that you're an advocate and I love that you're educating people. And I appreciate that on so much because I, I can't possibly know anything that I cannot see or hear. So I have learned so much from interviewing so many people on on all kinds of topics. So thank you for being that advocate, but it has to wreak havoc on your mental health. Just wandering around representing constantly has to be a burden for you. How do you manage it? How do you stay you know, healthy and happy and mentally fit. It is such a mix of things. And you're totally right. You know, there are days where you're just like, you know, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do that. And instead of sort of just forgetting about the whole responsibility, in those instances, for me, I just take a self-care day where I'll listen to what my intuition is telling me that I need to do. And especially my body, because so many of these cases they can kind of, for me and my experience anyway, encourage me to escape my body in some way, you know, um, go off into dreamland or, you know, have a glass of wine or all these things that we can escape our bodies. With. But as an actor and as a human being, I am more powerful when I am in my body and I am aligned and I fight for that al- alignment in my body. Because for me, I noticed that when I felt strong in my body, I was just more present to be present with my emotions and the little things that life was throwing at me. And I love this term microaggression, I got to say, because just five years ago, that term really didn't exist. And we didn't have a name for those constant small aggressions and slights that BIPOC people are experiencing, which they take a toll on on their mental health and the well-being of an individual. You know, I'm all for our evolving perspective on these matters because they bring to light and they name things that before were unnameable and added just to the stress of bearing the weight of something that you couldn't quite name. So back to kind of the, the staying and remaining in the body, I think it's the point of power for so many people, especially BIPOC people, because like I said before, we are in these positions where by our mere presence, we're making people potentially uncomfortable because they don't know how to deal with us or look at us or think about us, or they're already projecting all these ideas on us. So we kind of have to 
know ourselves better than any, anybody else and bring ourselves fully into these situations. But also with the compassion, self-compassion to know, you know, some days I can't deal with that. Some days I just, I can't. So I'm going to take a Epsom salt bath. I'm going to, you know, do some breath work. I'm going to vocalize and meditation because I feel like the more we take care of ourselves, the more we can provide space for ourselves during the day when we might be presented with all of these different challenges. Hi there, I'm Faye McCray, Editor-in-Chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with actress Vanessa Rubio from the Netflix series Cobra Kai. I've learned a lot about mental health in the workplace. And then, of course, I I learned even more about mental health in the workplace from the BIPOC perspective, a perspective that is not my own. And it it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And the entire time that I'm learning this, the workplace in my mind is an office, right? That's I'm just everybody's in an office like there's no other workplaces in America everybody's in an office so that 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 shows you the 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 unintended bias that i already have that everybody works in an office but you know moving a little to the left of that you work in hollywood you work on a movie set you work with actors and actresses what's that like for you is workplace mental health a thing in hollywood for the first time actually we were offered when we came back to film the ability to to seek out mental health counselors and that is would be fully covered by by the production. The way it was presented was in light of the pandemic, which I think is a positive thing coming out of the pandemic because we were all went through a trauma together and through very strange times together. So to expect people to come out on the other side okay and ready to work as they did before is no, it's just not possible. And I think in this instance, it's kind of a blessing because 
everybody knows that. Everybody feels that truth that we're not the same as we were before the pandemic and we can't expect each other to act the same. Fortunately, I feel that shed so much light on so many things. You know, um, the Black Lives Matter movement probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, I don't know if it would have happened if we weren't all on lockdown and could have the space and time to see that there's a real problem in our society. So it's coming and it's better and better, but there are still things to work out. Me personally, I (laughs) just kind of, I always want um, my mental health professional especially with talk therapy, to be a person of color. So I save 10 sessions just with that. You know, I don't have to explain certain things. They just get it. So it is getting better progressively. Well, I love my wife and I love my friends and family. Some of my best supporters are people who also live with bipolar disorder, people who live with bipolar disorder and have careers, houses, marriages, because they're, they're like me. And when you said you prefer a therapist of color because that saves you 10 sessions right there, that, that really spoke to me. And then I thought, who is your support group? My friend group is largely made up of Latinx writers and performers and actors. So most of my friend group, my personal friend group are Latinas. They're Latinx people. Uh, They either have been in the performing arts or currently still are. And there is a plethora of talent. I mean, the Latinx community is not lacking in talented people or quantity of people. And that's part of the problem. We're just not being hired. We're not being seen fully. I am able, fortunately, to lean on my group of friends a lot. And even in the instance where I needed a a Latinx writer of the right quality and type to recommend for the show, I was able to reach out and be fully held and supported by the group of Latinx creatives in Hollywood. I mean, I reached out and one person knew another person and put me in contact with this person and they were all there. There's this wonderful group created by uh, Gloria Calderon Colette, the producer of One Day at a Time and showrunner of One Day at a Time, excuse me, um, and Tanya Saracho, the showrunner of Vida. And they made a group called the Untitled Latinx Project. And it's online and it's all free and it's all there. And there's a list of Latinx writers and there's a list of Latinx producers and directors and their bios and their contacts. So it's like, it's right there. You know, the the community of Latinx people in Hollywood is fortunately so giving. And especially these, these two women, Gloria and Tanya, they're, they're just widening the table for everybody. We're all there. It's very present. It's a very supportive community. I know that we're running out of time, but I wanted to touch on something real quick. And in feminist activism, there's something called the Bechdel test, and it's to determine if the show actually represents women or is just using them to further a plot. In short, it asks whether a fictional work features at least two named female characters who talk to each other about something other than a man. Is this a concept that is needed to determine how minority characters are utilized in fictional works? I would say, why not? And I love the Bechdel test. I love the, the documentary, This Changes Everything, that Gina Davis has put on Netflix. Yes, why not? Because it's a good, clear test, right? To just see what's happening here. 
And it's revealing to everybody, you know, because then they take the test or they see a movie for this test and they go, oh, my God, we didn't pass it. It's very, I think it's a very good test. And yes, why not? Yeah, extend the test to BIPOC actors to see what the content is there. I feel like the Rubio test is something that we're all going to be talking about in the next year. I, I like the Bechtel test concept because, you know, I have I have a lot of female friends and they're like, hey, there's not a lot of women in movies. And I was like, that's not true. Every movie has a woman. Just, just uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're done. Conversation over. I saw a woman. And they're like, well, yeah, but what are they doing? And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? They're they're in the movie. And they're like, OK, but. And then the Bechtel test, you know, came up. It rose to prominence, like apply this. And I was like. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's that's a mess. Uh, and mm-hmm. I imagine that if we had the equivalent test for the BIPOC community, we find out that, you know, just because uh, uh, there's an African-American in the movie doesn't mean that they're well represented or they're not playing a stereotype. On one hand, it's fascinating. But on the other hand, it's just incredibly sad. And it's it's not lost on me that we don't need a white male test. And uh, <laughs> as we become more and more aware of this, I... I'm thankful that there's actors like you representing in the community because I I do think we're making progress. It's a shame that progress needs to be made, but since it does need to be made, thank you for your contributions to said progress. Thank you. Thank you so much. I only can grow with these experiences as we all can. Yeah. When we take these tests, the Bechdel test, when we see, oh my God, is this character not being represented well? It presents as a challenge and yeah, we do have to take the time to, in essence, kind of grieve a little bit about, oh, what, where are we coming up short? But then we have to take action and change it because 10 years down the line, who knows what the entertainment industry will look like. I hope it will look so different and that will be better for everybody. Ms. Rubio, thank you so much for being here. Listen up. You have to check out Cobra Kai. It's out this month on Netflix. It's the fourth season. If you've missed the last three, this is like a great three-day weekend. Now, Ms. Rubio, where can folks find just you on the web? I'm a big fan of Instagram. Um, My handle is very Venus, like the word very, the letter V, and then N-E-S-S. That's the the one I use the most. I tried for mental health reasons not to use Twitter, but you're more than welcome to follow me on Instagram. Well, I hope everybody does that. (laughs) Thank you for being here. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who is probably available for your next event. My book is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It's absolutely free. And recommend the show to your friends and family and coworkers and colleagues. Share it on social media. Send a text, email. Word of mouth is still a thing. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. 
Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.